And you know, as we, as we walk with the Lord, and walking with the Lord, it brings such joy. Uh, when I got saved in 87, we were, I was out of control. We thought we had everything under control. We thought we were free, and we didn't realize how much bondage we had until Jesus Christ came in, and he proved um, that I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And so much of it is training that we have from a young age. Uh, we were trained wrong. And you know, me and my father, we didn't have a good relationship. And, but God's a restorer, amen? And so now, you know, and we, we didn't get along. We didn't see each other, didn't talk much, and had no relationship. But after Christ came into my life, God started dealing with me. And 10 years later, I finally grew to the point where I could control my emotions, where the pain and the hurt, it didn't overwhelm me when I walked into his presence. And because uh, it was either fight or cry, that was about the only two uh, emotions that raised up inside of me when I got to my father. But now, it was uh, 10 years later, we, we sat down, we had a chat, and I said, look, at, I just want you to know I forgive you. My father didn't change much at that point, but I said, I forgive you of everything that you've done to me, and I got set free. Because, see, that's what forgiveness does. Forgiveness, you give it, and it sets you free. Without forgiving, you're in bondage because someone else is controlling your life or something else is controlling your life. And so when I did that with my dad, things started to change. But in my ministry, I got free. And now all of a sudden I could see everything from a much clearer picture because before it was all slanted. And uh, a few years after that, I led my dad to the Lord. I, bo- I water baptized my dad. Now he's 80, and we have a great relationship. We go to lunch. We talk. We hang out. He comes over to the house for dinner with my mom, and he just sits there with his kids, his grandkids, his great-grandkids, and, and we have an amazing time. So no matter how ugly the beginning is, God's interested in the end of a thing. Amen? Because none of us ever started out doing it all right, but God's in the process of re- rebuilding, restoring and uh, bringing us to a place of complete and total resurrection. He's now taking a dead life, and he's making it new, something that is a life that's worth living. And uh, this morning, I just wanted to share with you guys, because as I look around, I remember in uh, 19, let's see, uh, 99, we started our church, and then in uh, about 2003, we were in the same place that you guys are right now. And I just want you, because sometimes when we hear about what God does, and then all of a sudden we can see a little bit farther than where we're at. Because sometimes we can only see as far as where we are, rather than seeing all that God can possibly do. And we just sent in 20, celebrated 20 years. But as you stand on the Word of God, and as we build according to the Word of God, not being ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ according to the Word of God, that no matter who comes in, we don't change the Scriptures to try to please anybody. Amen? God's Word is God's Word, and we have no right to twist it, manipulate it, or change it because we're afraid of men. We're not afraid of anyone. We stand before an Almighty God. We simply deliver His Word, and His Word never returns void. How simple can that be? And yet we still seem to mess it up at times. Amen? But I just want you to know, we start in, in 03, we're in the same place that you guys are right now. But since that time, as we stood on the Word of God, <clears throat> you know, we, we've watched His provision come for 31, 32 years, or 31 years uh, in our ministry, and uh, in my marriage, and then 20 years in the ministry that we've been at the church. And we didn't have anything. We didn't start out with nothing. We, we didn't start out with much of, of anything at all. I was working a full-time job and uh, supplying all that we could to try to keep the lights on and the heat on and all of that. You know, we don't need air conditioning much back in New York, only for about a month. And, um, but we've watched God supply steadily 
every year. As we stayed faithful to the call of God in our lives, he just kept adding to people, not only people, but um, uh, one gentleman came in, had a brain aneurysm. They said he had six months or six years to live, and then he was going to be dead because they couldn't, there's no, it was inoperable. And that was, uh, uh, he just testified, it was 17 years ago. And he's still in our church, and he's preaching in the jail all the time, and God's doing a great work with him 17 years later because a church stood on the word of God. Because he didn't know Jesus Christ, somebody else invited him and said, hey, you're going to die, you better, might better just get to know Jesus Christ before you die. And he said, who's Jesus Christ? He said, other than a curse word, because he was a barroom brawler, him and his four brothers. They went to town every Friday night and fought every Friday night. That's all you did in Nunday, which is a little dinky town in the middle of nowhere in New York. And a good Friday night was all the boys going down and 20 of them getting the wrestling match and fighting. And he said, I had to give it up when I got stabbed for the first time. He said, the rules changed. And I can't do that no more. And then when he got sick, the rules changed again. And he knew he, in his mind he was going to die and he had to get to know Jesus Christ. And he did, and then God healed him, and he's still serving the Word, though uh, serving in the, in the church. You know, another couple came in, and their marriage was a wreck, and they got divorced. And they stay, he stayed in church and just kept believing God. Five years later, we, they got remarried again, and God just, he's a restorer, even of the impossible things that man does. Um, we've got a, you know, the building that we bought, it was an, it's an 1860 Baptist church building. We bought it for $150,000 and, uh, God paid it off and took care of that. But it was a building where people were just leaving and there wasn't many left. And we were knocking on doors because they sold the building that we had and they wouldn't let us uh, buy it from them. So I'm just running through town, knocking on every other church that there was. Can we rent? Can we rent? Can we rent? And half of them said, you'll never defile our sanctuary with your kind of music which is the kind of music that you guys are using right now. And um, so we found one, and they said, yeah, we need money. We'll let you rent from us. And uh, <laughs> so we started with $300 a month, and uh, over the couple of years uh, that we were there, they bumped it up to $500 a month, and, and we started paying the heat bill. And, <clears throat> you know, God just kept adding in enough, and then we bought the building, and, and now the, the building's too small, obviously. In that time frame, uh, one of the ladies came and said, look at I believe God's putting this, this ministry for women on my heart. And uh, my mom passed away, and this was her house, supposed to sell it and divide it between us three kids, but she said, I can't do it. I've got to give it to the ministry. And so she gave her house to the church, and we rebuilt the house, and now it's a women's home that women that are beat, battered, and abused come in, and we have a team of about 20 women that all just take care of these ladies, and they're, they're training and equipping them and rebuilding their lives uh, from the hurts that are there. Um, another gentleman came in, and his kids were playing in the street in Philmont, which uh, my friend back there said he, he's been there in school years ago. And he, his kids were just playing in the street. Other kids came and started playing with his kids, and he said, well, if there's going to be kids playing, we're going to do something different. So he started feeding them, and then he preached Jesus Christ while he fed them. And now he's got 68 kids coming on a Friday night in Little Town just because his kids were playing outside of his house on the lawn. You know, and so we planted several churches and built several overseas. And I just want you to know, regardless, it's not where you've begun. It's where God wants to take you. And the provision is already there waiting for tomorrow. You know, we look around at each one of our lives, and there's times that we have looked in the future and thought, how are we ever going to do this? And here we are. And God did it. 
He made a way where there seemed to be no way because we hit certain valleys in our lives. But yet the provision is always there because he's a God of provision. Amen? He provided for the, for, uh, the forgiveness and the salvation of each and every one of us through the blood of his son. And he'll provide all of the natural things for our whole lives. The only issue is going to be, are you willing to step out just a little bit deeper in that water or farther into the call of God in your life and actually trust God for something? Some people never experience God's faith in their lives because they never step out in faith. Some people never do anything. They've got to control it all. And no, we can't go there because we can't afford it. We've got to save up. We've got to get there. And we got, we've got to be able to supply all of our own needs. But I want to encourage you. God's already taken care of your needs. <clears throat> Not only in this life, but in the next. He's already built a place for you. Isn't that wonderful? You don't have to build it. You don't have to hire contractors. You don't have to try to get them there on time. You don't have to worry about overruns on the cost. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. He's taking care of your entire eternity has already been established in heaven all by the mighty hand of the King of glory. And so today, as we look at the Word of God in Deuteronomy in chapter 1, if you want to open up your Bibles, I want you to agree with me with Isaiah in chapter 30 and verse 15, where it says, In repentance and rest you will be saved. Once we repent, then there needs to come a time of rest, that you rest in the power of His Word. And then He says, in quietness and trust is your strength. Once we start to agree with the Word of God, that's where we stand and we don't move. In quietness and trust is your strength. Because when we can stand on His Word, when we agree with His Word, and that's why He says, renew your minds, how often? daily by the reading of the word we've got to renew our minds every day with the word of god that that lives inside of us so i I just want to encourage you that in repentance you find rest and in that rest we find our salvation in the word of god and in quietness and trust that's where our strength is in that quiet time with god and trusting in his word that's where we draw our strength we don't draw our strength from man we don't draw our strength from the gym we don't draw our strength from anything in the natural we draw our strength in our rest in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? So in, in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 6, or, uh, I'm sorry, verse 1 to 21, we're going to read that together. And it says, There are words which Moses spoke to all of Israel across the Jordan and the wilderness in the Arabah, opposite Suf, uh, between Param and uh, Tophel and Laban and Hezeroth and Dizahab. And verse 2, can we, there we go. It is 11... It is an 11 days journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Sir to Kadesh Barnea. And I want to stop there for a second. It's an 11 day journey. If we remember Israel, they spent how many years trying to make that journey? 40 years trying to make an 11 day journey. So many Christians, because they refuse to trust God, it takes them 40 years to do something in their lives that God wanted to do in 11 days. They spend their whole lives fighting with a thought in their mind believing a lie in their mind, arguing with something they were trained to do and saying, no, this is what men are supposed to be or this is what women are supposed to be. And my father always told us that a man's only worth what he can do or what he builds or what he does with his hands and how strong he is. And it was all a bunch of nonsense because I'm defined by the Word of God, the one who created me, amen? <clears throat> Therefore, you're not a failure because you didn't live up to uh, whatever he uh, demanded of you. And I don't know what kind of a father you had or where it walked, but <clears throat> many times with men that I've walked with, no matter what you did or how many times you did it, it was never quite good enough. You never could achieve because there was always something wrong with what you did. That's how it was in our house. 
and uh, whether I ran and I tripped, and he said, you'd trip and you'd stumble over a blade of grass. Uh, I couldn't even run. If I played football, I didn't throw enough touchdowns. If we played baseball, I didn't hit enough home runs. And it was funny because my father never played football. He had no idea about football. The only thing he knew was standing on the sidelines, and now I saw a guy open down there. You could have hit him, and he got a touchdown. You could have done it better. Yeah, I probably could have, Dad. <clears throat> but it took him 11, an 11-day 11 trip. It took him 40 years. I don't want us to spend 40 years going around a thought process that's not of God. I don't want the church going 40 years sitting there spending. You know, <clears throat> I've spent years with some men back in our church where I said, hey, listen, you know, when you're free, you raise your hand. I ain't raising my hand. They have a thought of raising your hand in church and how it makes you look weak or they're afraid of somebody else's opinion. What's somebody going to say? I remember when I first got saved in Biloxi, Mississippi, and everybody was raising their hand, and I was like, I stuck them in my pockets. I grabbed the bottom of my pockets, and I held on. I'm like, there's nobody going to make me do this. And uh, nobody tried. Nobody cared whether I raised my hands or not. It was all in my mind, though. What am I going to look like? And I had no idea when I looked to him, everything starts to change. And so then I remember raising my hand, and I went, Nobody's saying, nobody's looking, I'm going to do two of them. Oh, yeah, check this out. And I, stupid thoughts, you know, and then I remember when I raised them up, the first thought I had was, oh, okay, we're all right. Because all right. you're always thinking about you. The whole focus was on you. What do I look like? What do I smell? What's everybody going to think? And that was my mindset. Instead of lifting my hands and surrender to the king, I was still thinking about myself, so self-consumed and trying to, to manage and walk through. And, and that's what happens with us. You know, no different than they became self-consumed. Self-consumed with their own wants and desires. We remember in the, in the beginning of their journey how they wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to go back to bondage because they didn't want to learn to trust God. They'd rather trust in the hand of a man, and they'd rather be in slavery than step out in faith and believe God for the miraculous. In verse 3, it says, In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had commanded him to give them. In verse 4, it says, After he had defeated Sahan, the king of Amorites, who lived in Heshbon and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth and Edri, that across the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to expound this law, saying, uh, the Lord your God, our God spoke to us at Horeb, saying, You have stayed long enough at this mountain, verse 7, and turn and set your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in the Arabah and the hill country and in the lowland and in the Gev. And the Gev is just the southern side of things. And he says, By the sea coast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon as far as the great river Euphrates. Now, if we look at... Wait, go back to 7. I'm sorry. We look at the Negev. He's setting up the boundaries for Israel. He's saying, Hey, look at This is the inheritance I want to give you. Now, we know in, in the New Testament, God's given us an inheritance in Jesus Christ and all things that we put our hands to, he's going to prosper. And no matter where we put our feet, he's already given us the, the victory, right? And in Genesis, he said, hey, listen, no matter where you walk, I've already given you dominion. Now go and enjoy what I've created for you. And how many people will never leave America because they're too afraid to go somewhere else that God has given them? I can't tell you. I've got a guy in the church that said, brother, I, I, I can't. I just can't fly that far. Why not? Okay, I'll put you on a boat. We'll see you in three months. All right? <clears throat> we make excuses about everything. Some people, brother, you don't even know what's over there. You don't have a, have you ever been there? No, I've never been there. Why are you going? God's word says to go. Yeah, but what are you going to do? Enjoy what God has created. 
And everywhere we go, we found people that are just like us. They're working hard. They, they live a little bit differently. They eat differently. Some of it is really good. <laughs> India, ah, oh, that mutton curry, mm, boy, that's some good stuff. You know, we're out in the villages where people don't, don't want to go. The one village, other Americans have been there, quite a few groups, but we were the first ones to ever eat the food in the village. Nobody, everybody else was too afraid to eat the food. <clears throat> Powerful God we have. We're not even sure we can eat food. We're afraid we're not going to survive if somebody else cooks it because, you know, it doesn't look like ours, tastes like ours. Or, <gasps> suppose, there's, suppose they didn't wash their hands. I don't know. I ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that fell on the ground when I was a kid, right? <clears throat> God protects us, God keeps us, God makes a way. And the villagers were so blessed because we just sat down there and ate with them. And they told the pastor, they said, we're just so blessed. This is the first group that's ever eaten with us. We feel, we feel like maybe there's something wrong with us that they won't eat with us. That's how people receive it. We walked in, I'll eat anything, I don't care. I just like food. If it falls under the category of food, I'm trying it. You know, the only, I can't do the balut in the Philippines, though. I'm sorry. I, uh, a lot of guys I was in the military with, there. I, I can't do it. I apologize to my Filipino brother over here. I just can't do it. But God is setting up the parameters for Israel. He's saying, look at here's the borders I'm going to give you. And within the borders, I was just in Lebanon in, in May, and the Lebanon is right up to uh, uh, the, the Mediterranean Sea, and it is beautiful. The fruits and the, the juices and the food's amazing. And so when we look at all of the borders he gave them, it was actually about 300,000 acres God cut out and promised Israel. He said, look, you've been wandering around the desert 40 years. It was an 11-day trip. We're going to change some things. We're going to go over. We're going to cross into the promised land. And I'm giving you 300,000 acres to call your own and to dwell in. Now with David and, and Solomon in the height of their... Uh, dominion or the zenith of all that they controlled they only ever really controlled 30,000 acres one-tenth of everything God promised one-tenth did they inhabit and utilize I think about that so many times in our lives <clears throat> how much of our potential are we actually using how much of all of God's promises do we actually incorporate into our lives how much do we actually believe of what God has given us already that we use? They only used one-tenth of all the property. Can you imagine inheriting 300,000 acres and you only ever utilize 30,000? You never even go and see the rest of it. You never inhabit any of it. You, you only inhabit one-tenth. How about your parents leaving their children $300,000 and they say, no, I'm just going to use 30000 and they never ever look or touch the rest of it because they just get caught up in what they're doing. All, so much has been supplied for each one of us through the Word of God that you can tap into and you can walk into. The borders are a lot wider than what you're, you've been enjoying. In the mind, <clears throat> the borders are much wider. Just because someone is different than us, that's a good thing. God likes somebody that's different than you, amen? That's why he brought me down here. He said, we got to get somebody different than people in, down there in Marana. Somebody else has got to share, all right? God loves the flavor and the difference that each one of us bring. 
Because you bring something so beautiful to the kingdom. You bring something so powerful into the kingdom of God. You take what God has created when you add it to the other people that are around here. Mighty things happen in the kingdom. Powerful things happen and people's lives are changed because of you. But so many times we never get outside the borders. We're afraid. Some people never even go outside in their neighborhoods and and go and witness to anybody because they're afraid. Here's the borders God gave you. Go into all the world. And some people say, I'm not going. My father wouldn't let us go to New York City. We're about two hours, two and a half hours north of New York City. We live in the mountains or in the foothills of the Catskill Mountains. All country. And my father, when we were 14, 15, 16, our friends were going down to New York City. You ain't going to New York City. Bunch of morons down there stabbing each other, stealing from each other. You ain't going. Not till you turn 18. All right. Then I joined the military. They sent me to Guam. Big difference. My father wouldn't let me go two and a half hours, but uh, now we're going two and a half days ride on an airplane before we get there. My father's ideas that he built into us were based on fear. Fear of what somebody else would do because of stories that he heard because nothing ever happened to him in New York City when he went. Nothing. But his fear of what he saw in the news and what he read he didn't want anything to happen, so you stay close. You stay on the farm. You throw hay. You stay on the farm. This is what you do. It's safe here, and this is where we stay. <clears throat> but uh, I, God had other plans. Amen? Let's go to verse 8. It says, See, I have placed you in a land, a land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to them and their descendants after them. Verse 9. He says, and I spoke to you at that time, saying, I'm not able to bear the burden of you alone. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are this day like the stars of the heaven in number. Another prophecy fulfilled. Uh, Verse 11. He said, may the Lord your God, or the God of your fathers, increase you a thousandfold more than you are, and bless you just as he has promised you. Can we just, God wants to bless you more than what you've experienced already. He blessed Israel, and now he wants to bless them. Moses is pronouncing a blessing over them a thousand times more than what God has already given you. Uh, how can I alone bear the load you of your, uh, and burden of you and your strife? Verse 13, choose wise and discerning and experienced men from your tribes, and I will appoint them as your heads. You, answer me and, you answered me and said, the thing which you have said to do is good. So I took the heads of the tribes of the wise and experienced men and appointed them as heads over you, leaders of thousands and of hundreds and fifties and tens and officers for your tribes. And then I charged you, uh, judges at that time, saying, Here the case is between your fellow countrymen and judge righteously between a man and his fellow countrymen or the alien who is with us or with him. And you shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not fear man. Uh, For the judgment is God's. The case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me and I will hear it. I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. 19, and then we set out from Horeb and we went through all the great and terrible wilderness which you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, just as the Lord our God had commanded us and we came to Kadesh uh, Barnea. I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is about to give us. In verse 21, see, the Lord your God has placed the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has spoken to you, and do not fear or be dismayed. In Deuteronomy, 
It means a second law in the Hebrew language. And second law, obviously it was already written in Exodus. We've read that, but it doesn't mean it's just a repeat of what Exodus has said in the law. <clears throat> He's adding to it. And when we look at what's going on with Israel, all of the Israelis, they all died in the desert, right? The 40 years of disobedience. They all died except for three of them. There's three of them that stayed, the three that stayed faithful to the Lord, right? Moses, and who was the other two? Joshua and Caleb, right? So it's three of them that survive, and they're still leading Israel 40 years around this mountain, an 11-day trip. And so now Moses, he's got a, this is a month before Moses dies, they say, uh, many commentaries. <clears throat> it's a month before he dies. He's telling them, he said, okay, you guys weren't there in the beginning. This is a whole new generation. But I want you to understand, here's what the Word of God says for your victory when you go into the promised land that God promised us over 40 years ago. I want you to be able to enjoy it. Here's what His Word says. And Moses is reiterating a lot of it. I don't know about you, but my father would say the same thing over and over and over again to me. Every time we came to a place, hey, whenever we were working, I grew up in a plumbing and heating household, and... Uh, we were throwing hay on my grandfather's farm in the summertime, and then we uh, all day long, once you turn 12, we started doing plumbing and heat. I worked on a truck with my grandfather, going house to house, fixing things, and um, you couldn't quit working um, until football started, and that's the only time that then you could stop working for the summer. If you weren't playing football, then you worked all summer until school started. And uh, my father was generous. He paid us $2 an hour, and uh, so I was making 40 bucks a week, and it was, uh, it was a good week. <clears throat> but um, when we were working, putting a boiler in, my father would always, stop looking at what I'm doing. I want you to see what needs to be done next. You get the pipe cleaned, you give me the tool, get it ready. I want you to see what's coming rather than just staring at where you're at. And that's what Moses is telling them. And you know, my father said that so many times now that I'm working with my sons and I have my plumbing and heating business before I uh, started pastoring and I still mess around with a little bit on my day off just to pay for mission trips or whatever. I'll put a boiler in or something like that. And I take my 11 and my 14-year-old boy with me now, my two boys, and I say, hey, Listen, don't be looking at what I'm doing. Look at what I need next. Come on, you've got to get that ready. And I think, I used to hate it when my father said that. <laughs> Man, it used to tick me off. <clears throat> now I'm doing the same thing. But can I tell you, I don't even have to think about looking at what needs to be done next because we're already prepared for that. That's what Moses is telling them. Hey, listen, when you go into the promised land, you're going to get there. But when you get there... Make sure that this is the way that you walk. Make sure that this is the way that you live. Remember the 40 years. So he's talking about this book is broken up into three places where he talks about this is what happened, this is where we're at right now, and this is where we're going. And that's what I want for my life. Isn't that the way God always does it? We come in and we get to know Jesus Christ, and God says, hey, remember what you did? I took you out of darkness and translated you into, your, into my marvelous light. Now I've washed you and I've cleansed you and I've made you whole. I've given you a new name. I wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life. And all of heaven rejoiced the day that you received me. Now this is what I need from you. Because I don't want the rest of my kids never hearing about my love and my mercy and my grace. I need you to go and tell them. So God's Word always shows us where we've been, what He's doing in us now, renewing our minds daily by the reading of the Word of God. He's strengthening us. He's filling us with the Spirit, which is the power of God that manifests through us in order to walk out all that He's promised in places that we've never seen before where we can be at perfect rest and, per perfect, rest and perfect peace. And then He says, hey, I want to blow your mind. 
And I remember, I've, I've still got my Bible that I, I got in 1987, uh, in January. <clears throat> I bought a Bible, and I thought, you know, the only one you could have was a King James Version. And uh, so I bought a King James Version, and I had no idea what it said. <laughs> I tried, I read, and uh, nope, because if you're not raised in it, it's a foreign language, amen? <clears throat> and what's that? It is the one Jesus used. That's what, that's what most people think. <laughs> That's what most people think, and I've got a Baptist friend of mine, and his father is very fundamental, and he said, you know, in their church, you only use the King James. You don't use the King James. You don't preach in their church. And so I asked him, and I said, well, I said, so does your father speak Hebrew and Greek? No. I said, oh, so then he doesn't use the original language, then he just uses the King James version, the tainted copy anyway. No. It's not. It's true. It's real. That's the only one you can use. And so we go back and forth on that. And we have a lot of fun together <clears throat> with each other. But God wants to, he wanted to, he wants to blow our mind because he wants you to understand how much more he wants to do with you, through you, in you. All of these things. Because everything that we have and everything that we see, it was of God, it was by God, and it's for God. Amen? We were created by God. We are living for God, and everything that we are is His, and everything that we see is His. So as we walk this out, and when I got the Bible, um, we got back to Greenville, and I sent it to my pastor, and they brought me and my wife up, and they prophesied over us. <clears throat> I'd never heard a prophecy. I thought it was a little bit weird. And uh, they started bringing people up, and I'm thinking, they don't even know them guys. It's the first time these people have ever been in the church. And so I sat back, and I said, Brent, just look down. Look down. They don't see you looking at them. They won't pick on you, right? I mean, that was my thought. So I'm just sitting there going through the Bible, and every once in a while you look up because you hear something that perks your ears. And next thing you know, they said, hey, you two. And I'm just, I'm just looking. Now the sweat's running. I'm just staring at my Bible. And I'm just trying to make believe that I don't hear anything. And they didn't stop. They said, you two, can you come up here? My wife is hitting me. Hey, we got to go up there. What? Huh? I didn't hear anything. And I'm just flipping through. She said, we got to go up here. Let's go. So we go, we walk up, and my pastor prophesies, and he said, um, he said, you're going to, God's calling you to, pre to preach the word of God to pastor. He's calling you to travel around the world preaching the gospel. You're going to plant churches. You're going to build the kingdom of God. Your wife is going to lead worship, <clears throat> and your wife is going to be, her voice is going to sound a lot like the voice of God, so you better listen to her. And I'm like, I looked at her, she looked at me. I wrote it down. We went back and we talked. She said, if I would have known you was going to be a preacher, I'd have never married you. <laughs> I said, I don't know I was going to be a preacher. I, this is news to me. We're in the same boat. I said, you're going to be a worship leader? She said, no, that's not happening either. <clears throat> she was from Biloxi, Mississippi, and you just go to church and then you live your life. You go on Sunday morning and the rest of the week is yours. They did good. She didn't do anything wrong, you know, according to the world standard. But she didn't give the Lord all of her heart. And can I tell you, every word that they spoke has come true over the last 30 years of marriage or 31 years of marriage. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, as we, we stepped out uh, to take the church in Hudson, I was in Greenville for uh, 12 years under my pastor. And I was a head usher, ran missions, uh, did the maintenance on the building, plowed the snow and salted, ran a life group, ran the youth group. I did every, all of those things um, for 12 years. And, uh, well, I was a couple of years getting my head right first, uh, getting trained. So like for the last eight, nine years, I was doing that. And then they were sending us to Hudson. 
And they brought me in and they said, look, we believe that uh, you need to go take that church in Hudson. It's only three years and we need to make some changes. And I said, Hudson, I hate Hudson. And uh, I said, they were our rivals in football. And I remember the last game before I blew my knee out, they beat us. So I hate Hudson. I don't like the city. I don't like the area. And they said, uh, yeah, well, we, we really uh, we think that you know, that's what you should do. You need to go pray about it. You need to fast. And uh, I said, well, I'll go talk to my wife about it. And my wife was sitting on the couch. She was reading a book. And I said, honey, just came from the meeting, and the, uh, the council said they want us to go take the church over in Hudson. She never even looked down. She just said, over my dead body. <laughs> yeah. And um, so we talked and we fasted and we prayed about it for a long time. And then they brought us back in. And I didn't have a definitive yes and I didn't have a no. You know, so I came back to the leadership and I said, look, I don't have a definitive yes or a no in this. I don't know why. Usually things are pretty clear. I said, so here's what I'm going to do. Whatever you believe is best for the kingdom of God, I'll take my family and I'll go do. And they said, all right, you're going to Hudson. I said, thanks. <clears throat> and I went back home and I said, Bram, we're going to Hudson. She said, I'll follow you anywhere. But if this thing fails, it's all on you. She said, come on, give me a break. I'm just trying to be a man under authority here. And so we took off, went to Hudson, and it's been, uh, you know, it's been one of those roads that we saw things, we, we stepped out and thought all of these wonderful things were going to happen as soon as we walked through the door. It didn't. It didn't happen. And we just stayed at it. And can I tell you, when we're faithful with God, he's faithful with us. No matter what it is, he's been faithful in my marriage. In my wife's voice, she reminds me all the time, sounds a lot like God's. And uh, I am so grateful for it. But as we look at uh, these guys, you know, walking through the wilderness, <clears throat> it's a new generation that he's bringing in. And it's a new generation. It's a new area that now is being, being ministered to through uh, Li uh, Living Hope Family Church here in Marana. And it's a, <clears throat> a brand new one. And, you know, Moses established uh, everything. And um, Moses, about 120 years old at the point, and he wants to give them the information that's going to make them successful. And that's what the Word of God does for each one of us. And in verse 6, I want you to <clears throat> really think about for your own life. They've been walking in the wilderness. They knew the Word of God. They kicked against the Word of God. They've heard the Word of God. But yet they got to a place at this mountain range, and Horeb is just a mountain range like you guys have, and then Sinai would be like Mount Lemon. Everybody, I've been up there a couple of times. It's beautiful. And so Sinai is like Mount Lemon in the, <clears throat> in the mountain range. But they've been based here at this camp for years. And how many know we can all get comfortable? Right? They've got the tabernacle set up. They're worshiping God. They're sacrificing. And uh, now Moses is saying, hey, listen, you're getting ready to go into promised land. And you know, a lot of people don't want to move with the cloud, what God has for them. They get comfortable right where they're at. Some people, Dave Ramsey, I don't know if you ever heard of him. He's a, you know, a finance guru there. And he said that when people get in financial trouble, they would rather lose their house to the bank than try and sell it because of an emotional attachment. That's how emotionally attached people get to a certain area. Look at these guys were no different. They came, they had their water, their food, their, everything, the camp is all set up, the tabernacle's there, the laws are there, and they're used to living here. Now Moses says, we're going to go into the promised land. And they're looking at it, and I guarantee you some are, oh, but uh, what about the sunset over Horeb Mountain Range? And they're thinking about this, because we've all looked at our lives and said, yeah, but okay, as long as it has this, 
I'll serve God there as, as long as this is there. As long as they have a Starbucks, I'll go. But if they don't, can I tell you, there's even Starbucks in Lebanon. I'm in Lebanon. We walked down by the Mediterranean. I was like, are you kidding me? Egypt. Everywhere we went. <clears throat> it's pretty much anywhere you go in the world now, you can get pretty much everything that we have. Just the food is not processed like ours. It's much better. But in your life this morning, I don't know where you've been. Maybe you've been doing life the way that you've always, the only life that you've known. You only do it a certain way. This is what we allow, and we get comfortable in our own house. We work our job uh, 8, 10, 12 hours, whatever it is, um, and then we come home, and uh, I know they've, I don't know how you guys do it, but I know the house I grew up in, when my father came home, he didn't do dishes. That didn't happen. That was like, when you, dish water was like kryptonite. You stick your hands in there, and it just paralyzes you, and you're weak and anemic. Start flopping around on the floor, and ain't no way I'm dead. And he didn't do laundry either. You know, this is the way, this is what men do, and this is how it works. And, and then I started reading a, a thing by Joyce Myers, and she said, let me tell you something. She said, my husband knows that... Uh, you know, in our household, it was a different thought process because that's where I grew up. So I didn't do dishes either. I came in, you know, and said, hey, make sure dinner's at 5 o'clock because I got to go back out to work, blah, 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 blah. I just left the dishes. I didn't vacuum. I didn't do those things. And then Joyce Myers, she came on and she said, my husband knows, and we know he comes in and he vacuums all the time because he knows that when he starts doing housework, that's like foreplay in our house. He said, oh, yeah, because a woman is so overburdened with everything that she's got to do. She can't relax. And he, she said, when I come home and he's got the vacuum out, I'm like, oh, look at that. He loves me. He cares about me. He's taking the pressure off. He's getting the dishes are done, too. Oh, that's a good man right there. Uh, that's the man of my dreams right there, baby. And everything started changing. I thought, really? Is that how it works? Man, I went home that night, and I'm scrubbing the pots, and I'm putting the dishes away, and I got the vacuum out, and my wife, she, oh, thanks, honey. And she goes in and tucks the kids, and I'm like, that just ain't fair. I did everything that she said, and it didn't work for me. <clears throat> and then my wife put the kids to bed, and everything changed. And uh, I said, oh, she was telling the truth. <clears throat> but you see, we, we've got a certain way that we do things that we were trained and it was wrong. And a lot of times we spent like them at a mountain and it was an impasse and our marriages got to a certain point and it didn't change, it didn't grow. Or our walk with the Lord maybe got stagnant and God said, look, i got a promised land. i got something so much greater for you. Don't just sit around your 10,000 acres. I've got 300,000 acres that I want you to inhabit and it's all yours. You don't have to earn it. I'm giving it to you. It's a promise that I have, and I don't want you just hanging out where you're at. I don't want your thought process to consume and control you. I don't want you as, as a woman to think a certain way and as a man to think a certain way. Here's what I want you to think according to my word. Only you have to grab a hold of my word and then walk in that because that's true freedom. And so Moses tells him, he said, hey, listen, guys, <clears throat> you've stared at this mountain long enough. Now, maybe, you know, maybe your mountain is, maybe it's an addiction. Maybe your mountain is fear. Maybe your mountain is abuse. I don't know what your mountain is, but I want you to know Jesus came to set the captives free. He came 
And God's saying to the Israelites, he said, you've looked at that mountain long enough. You've allowed fear to control you long enough. You've allowed lack to be in your forefront of your mind so that you would never step out and do what God's called you to do. You've allowed that thought process of abuse from the past to consume your thoughts all the time and therefore never live in freedom. You've stared at that mountain long enough. And he said, I've had enough of that mountain. I've got more for every one of my sons and daughters that would agree with me. Everyone that would agree with the word of God, you'll find your freedom. But you've got to stop looking at that mountain and look at my word. You've got to stop looking at that mountain and you've got to look to the freedom that I promised you through the blood of Jesus Christ. We just took communion this morning, remembering that his body was given because we know his legs weren't broken. Nothing was ever broken in his body. But he just gave his life for each and every one of us. And the stripes that he took were for the healing uh, of our bodies. And then that blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins. And the power of forgiveness is huge. Huge. We had a lady in our church that she had rheumatoid arthritis. And uh, we prayed with her and we sent her to a, another gentleman, another pastor who also does a lot of counseling. And he talked with her and he said, when did this start? And she said, I don't know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, whatever it was. And she was hurting, getting out of bed. She couldn't do her job hardly as a paralegal. And um, <clears throat> he said, well, what happened that year? That it started. And she said, I don't know. Well, no, let's, let's talk about that. And they went back and found out that something traumatic happened that year, and she held bitterness in her heart. She held bitterness in her heart. He said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go, and I want you to forgive them. Whoever it was, whatever it was, you go and you forgive them. She said, you don't understand. He said, yes, I do. I understand the Word of God. See, she was staring at that mountain for so long, it started to consume her. The next week, she got the courage up and she went and she said, listen, I forgive you for the way that you offended me. The next week, she had no more symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis. You see, if, we don't look, if we're looking at that mountain, we're not looking to the Word of God, we don't find our freedom. If all I ever did was look at my relationship with my father, I would have destroyed the relationship with my sons. <clears throat> but my God, he's madly in love with me and he kept sending men and women around me. My mom was praying since 72 for me <clears throat> and she just kept on praying because she knew I was staring at the wrong mountain. She knew that it would destroy me. She was the one that said, join the military, get away from your father. Join the military. Every time we got in a fight with dad, join the military, get out of here. You need to get out of here. She didn't want me looking at that mountain because that mountain is overwhelming, isn't it? And I remember when I joined the military, came home, all I wanted to do was fight. Just with him, nobody else. Because I didn't need him anymore. I didn't need his house. I didn't need anything. He wasn't over me. And all I wanted to do was fight, but I didn't know how to forgive. And it was years later, through the word of God, that was a forgiven. I able able to forgive, and I finally became free. So God said, whatever mountain you've been looking at, it's time to stop. I want to change your view. <clears throat> Whether it's fear, how about condemnation? Some people condemn themselves. There's ladies in here. There's men in here. You condemn yourself. You blame yourself. With this many people in a room, even with this small of group, there's at least one woman in here that's probably had an abortion just by, by the numbers and the averages that they say. And therefore, so many women have condemned themselves and they've never found grace through faith in Jesus Christ for an act that they committed when, uh, whether it was a long time ago. And we, uh, meet with a, I met with a pastor's wife for you know, years we ran together. And uh, they had the pastor and his wife, they had an abortion before they ever got married. And uh, every year at the same time, she didn't even realize she, she starts weeping on the birthday uh, when, she, when the baby was supposed to be born. 
It's a remembrance, something that she dealt with in the back of her mind, and it took her, I don't know, 20, 30 years before she could find forgiveness. She was staring at the mountain of her moral failure of what she did because she wanted to, she couldn't, the embarrassment of having a baby out of wedlock, I couldn't do it. And then that thing consumed her for years, and it took a long time to find the forgiveness in Jesus Christ. You see, so it's real issues. It's not about some mountain that's in front of us that we're looking at, but it's a lie that the enemy uses to hamstring God's kids. It's a lie that goes on in our mind that says God couldn't possibly love you because of what you have done. He loved you before you were even born. He sent His Son before the world was formed to be that propitiation for each one of our sins. So yeah, whatever you have done, He said, I want you to stop looking at that mountain. I want you to look and see what I've done. I love you with an everlasting love. I sent my son. He, he died. He hung on that cross because of you and you alone. It was not because of someone else that's better than you or is more worthy than you. Which one of our children can we say we love more? It's an impossibility. I've got five of them and five grandbabies, and I love them all. I, I couldn't believe after the first son was born that I could ever love another baby that much. And then my daughter came, and my mind went to tilt mode, does not compute, does not compute because I love her just as much as I love him. And then the the second son came along, and I'm like, my goodness, it's the same love. It's a little different for each one, but it's the same love. And then the Scripture says that pure religion is taking care of the widows and the orphans, and two little boys came into our lives, and the grandparents, aunts, and uncles didn't want them, so we adopted two little boys that we had them since they were two and four, and, you know, I was, I was so weak when I got them, whatever it was, seven, eight years ago, I was afraid that they weren't going to stay with us. I thought we were just going to have them for a little while. So they came in, and they were so broken and busted, and their, their parents were on drugs and locking them in a bedroom for hours. And when they came to the house, I guarded my heart because I was afraid to love them because if they left, then I would be hurt. How stinking selfish is that? Here I am, pastoring a church, walking with the Lord for years, and I will not allow myself to give and to love completely because I might get hurt. And here's a two-year-old and a four-year-old. And when they got there, the day they came to our house, we had never met them before. And I said, hi, guys, I'll be Mr. Drone and this will be Miss Brenda. And the four-year-old said, no, Mom and Pop, Pop. I said, oh, no, that's way too endearing. We are not going down that road. I said, okay, I'll be Uncle Jerome and this will be Aunt Brenda. And he starts crying. He said, no, Mom and Pop, Pop. I said, I'm pop up, you win. <laughs> How am I going to tell a four-year-old anything else? And for the next five years, I was pop pop. And my wife was mom. And then when we adopted him, the adoption was final. Then I had to change my name. Because you see, to them two little boys, pop pop was an endearing name. It was someone who was who showed up, someone who loved and hugged them, someone who laid with them in bed because we couldn't shut the door, turn off the light when we first got. They were too petrified. So Pop Pop, they they loved. But Dad or Father, they didn't want nothing to do with. And so I knew that now I have to change what what they call me in order for them to have a right vision of who he is. And so for the next four months um, after the adoption, then I was Dad. Then I was their father. And we started working in that. Because otherwise they were looking at that mountain every time they heard Father. Every time they heard Dad, it was the one that left. It was the one that wasn't there. <clears throat> the first night we got them, I put them to bed and we prayed with them. We read the word of God over and we prayed over them. And I said, okay, boys, good night. And when I gave my boys a kiss, uh, the four-year-old stuck his tongue in my mouth. Yeah, 
I was freaked out. I jumped, what in the sun? Why are you, are you, uh? and I'm thinking, wait a minute, he's four, he's four, stop, stop. But in my mind, it weirded me out. I just want you to know. I didn't, and I find out his father was watching porn with him at four years old. So you don't know what you're going to get, but I know I didn't want him staring at that mountain anymore. He never did that again, let me tell you. He understood after that night, that never happens. <clears throat> now, He's leading worship on our worship team at 14 years old, playing the guitar. He's free. Every night I remind him, do you believe you're loved as much as Nick, my oldest boy? Yeah. How about Chelsea? Yes. How about Jerome Michael, our third born? Yes. You believe that I love you as much as all of them? Yes. So you know you're loved by God and you're loved by us? Yes, Dad. I understand that. I agree with that. Good. Because how long does it take to believe that you're loved? How long does it take when you've been rejected your whole life to agree that you're loved? It was a mountain we didn't want them looking at the rest of their lives. <clears throat> and then the, the verse says, it goes in and it says, now turn. You've been looking at that mountain long enough. Now it's time to turn and set your journey. Here's your opportunity today that you don't have to look at that, that mountain anymore, whatever it is. Listen, if you've had an abortion, <clears throat> you don't have to sit there and stare at that mountain and feel less than everybody else in this room. God's grace is amazing and it is so beautiful and so powerful what the enemy wants you to think about god wants to obliterate and remove from your life he wants to remove it maybe you've been divorced or whatever and think well i really can't serve god because you know now i'm less than everybody else in the room can i tell you you're not his grace is enough even for your situation you didn't do something outside the parameters where god said my goodness how did they figure that out i never thought they would ever do something like that he knows all the thoughts and the intents of man's heart are what? Evil, the word says, right? And then only through the surrender of, to Jesus Christ do we find our freedom. So all of these mountains that we're looking at, he said, today is a time to turn and set your journey. So you can turn away from that mountain. People have encouraged you to turn away from that mountain and said, no, you're not who you are. That's not who you are. That's not who you are. And I want you to know this morning, the word of God says, this is who you are. You're a child of God. This is who you are. You're the one that he died for. This is who you are. You're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. You're powerful. Nothing is impossible for you. All the plans are yea and amen to those that love Jesus Christ. Those that are in Christ. And if you know Jesus Christ, you're in Christ. You've been grafted into the vine. And now you're drawing from that vine. And you're going to produce the same fruit that that vine produces. Amen? And that's what God said, it's time to turn and look to the vine. I've grafted you in. I want you to look at me. I want you to look at my word because I want to destroy and obliterate all the lies that have been hanging out in your mind. You're going to have to turn and then set your course. Is it going to be another mountain that you're going to look at? Or is it going to be the word of God? Because we can turn from one mountain to the next, can't we? We can turn and say, oh yeah, I got victory here, but uh, I've got another mountain range over here and I'm staring at them. God said, turn and set your journey. And this morning, I want to encourage you, turn and set your journey and make the journey about him. Make the journey about his promises. <clears throat> There's a whole, the land is placed before them. The promised land was placed before them. They were going to enjoy vineyards that they didn't plant. Gardens they could eat from that they had nothing to do with. Houses they were going to live in that they didn't build. This is how good God is. He said, look at all the things that you desired when you look away from your mountain and look to me, I'm going to supply. I never thought I could have a marriage like I have today. I never thought it was possible. Saw my mom and dad's marriage, and it was ugly. It was ugly. And I thought, well, that's just the way marriage is. That's just the way life is. 
And I found out when I looked away from that mountain and I looked at the word of God, everything started to change. It did take me about three years of being married and saved before I stopped looking at that mountain. Because at the end of year three, she wanted to leave me. And I thought, what are you kidding me? Have you ever met my brother or my father? I'm the nice one. <laughs> Can't we deceive ourselves? Sometimes we deceive ourselves and we judge ourselves by others rather than the word of God. And uh, my wife said, yeah. She said, but uh, can I just tell you a couple things we need to look at? And I said, yeah. I said, so what do you think about when you see me? She said, I think you're a jerk. Really? Okay, now, you know, just be real. Be honest with me, would you please? And uh, I said, what did I do? What have I done? And she said, you're demanding like your father. Don't you ever tell me I'm like my father. Don't you ever say it again. You hear me in this house, that's a curse word. And, uh, but I realized I was in certain areas like my dad. And then I wanted to be like my dad in heaven, the one that created me. And so I got around other men of God. See, I couldn't change myself. And I got around other men and I said, hey, my wife says I'm a jerk. And they said, yeah. So I found somebody else. I said, hey. No, I stayed there. And they said, well, yeah, because this is, these are the thoughts that are going through your mind. I said, oh, now you're a mind reader? Now you know my thoughts? Well, are they your thoughts? Yeah. And I had to spend time with other men and allow them to speak into my life. And you know what? Sometimes I was staring at that mountain so hard I needed somebody else to help turn me away from the mountain because it was so embedded in me. And that was the only thought that I had. And I thought I would never have a relationship with my sons. And you know, my, my oldest is 29. He comes up when he comes home. He lives in Nashville. When he comes home, he gives me a hug and he gives me a kiss. My daughter, she still comes in and she'll be like, hi, daddy, and sit on my lap and we'll talk. She's 27, married, four babies, you know. And my 27-year-old, he lives about 40 minutes from us. Every time he comes in, he comes in and gives me a big hug and he gives me a kiss on the cheek and he's got a beard. It's like, <sighs> just... Come on, I, I feel like the little kid, you know. Hi, Daddy. Hi, Grandpa. Give me a kiss with your big beard. And, uh, but he hugs me every time. He just comes in. If I'm watching, if I'm sitting on the couch, he comes in the door, and he just drapes himself over me and says, Hi, Dad. Love you. So glad we get to spend some time. And then my two little boys, they come in, and they just, of course, they, you know, their, I, their language of love is come in and they punch you in the gut, right? That's what teenage boys do. Hey, Dad. Boom. Hey, Dad, and every time he comes up next to me, he's 14, and he stands on his tippy toes trying to be as tall as me. You know, he's in that. His voice goes from here to here to here to here. And uh, so we're having fun with that because he's on the worship team. And the other day, I looked at him, and I just started smiling because I was so proud of him. He's up there playing his guitar, and he's singing into the mic, and he starts laughing. And after church, he said, Dad, you heard that, didn't you? I said, what? He said, I squeaked so bad, Dad. And you were looking at me laughing. I thought you were laughing at me and heard it. I said, no, I didn't hear you. I was just so proud of you up there singing, son. But in his mind, he was fixed on himself. So, you know, and then the youngest one, every time he comes in the house, he just crawls up on my lap. He's 11 now. And when I pray for him at night, he's the one that the 14-year-old lays right next to me. And he always has. The 11-year-old climbs onto me. And he just lays there. And you know what? I don't ever want them days to end. I don't care, you know, as long as they don't get too heavy. I don't care how old they are. I want to make sure because I never thought that it was a possibility that I could have a life where all of my desires God has already met. I got to get bigger dreams and bigger desires. I remember in 10th grade history class reading about India. 
reading about it. And now I've been to India. We're going along and the young boy's working the, the field with his elephant. And I remember dreaming about this stuff. You know, South Africa, we're walking on the beach with the penguins and going out to Seal Island and there's 10,000 seals all around you. Things that we used to read about and dream about, God has allowed me to experience. Not because I did anything right, but I just turned away from that mountain. I set my course and I said, Lord, whatever your word says, whatever the leadership says in the house, that's what I want to do. He said, that's all I'm asking. Just do what my word says. And then walk along those, walk with those men and those women and stand in agreement with them so that as the body of Christ, now we draw from those that are really hurting and say, stop looking at the mountain. Come on, let's set the course and let's walk into our freedom. And they walked into the promised land. And Moses wasn't allowed to go. Here he led him for 40 years. And these kids that never experienced everything that happened in Egypt got to walk into the promised land. Can I encourage you tonight? God's got a promise for you that if you'll ask him to forgive you, he'll wipe away all of your sins. If you'll read his word, he'll renew your mind. If you'll give him your life, he'll make something so beautiful out of it that you'll sit back one day and say, it's amazing what God has done. There was a gentleman in uh, Tommy Barnett's church years ago. He came up to Tommy Barnett and he said, uh, Pastor, he said, I know I'm older. He said, but I still believe God wants to use me. And Tommy said, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go into the hospitals and I want you to start praying for people. <clears throat> he said, okay, I can do that. Started reading his word, studying the healing scriptures, went into the hospital. And I think the first, uh, the first year he led like 37 people to Christ. He was 90 years old when he started doing ministry in the hospital. So it doesn't matter how old or how young we are, if we'll turn from the mountain and we'll just say, Father, I'll do what your word says, we're going to have fruit even into our latter years. Amen? So we can't use any excuses. All we have to do is turn from that mountain, set our course, and make that course Jesus Christ. I believe that what God wants you to know is you've stayed at that mountain long enough. I don't know what it is. I don't care what it is. Your mountain's no different than any other mountain in here. But I want you to know God has already conquered that mountain. And he said, I don't want you looking at it. I want you free this morning. Stand up this morning, can we? And I'm just going to pray for you. I want to pray and I want to believe God. And I just want you to close your eyes. Can you jump on the guitar there, Wayne? Thanks, brother. Uh, sorry, Pastor Wayne. I don't want to get in trouble. Can I tell you? When I come to this house, all the authority that I have, I surrender to this man. I do nothing without his approval. I do nothing unless I'm asked because he's the authority in this house. So it doesn't matter how many churches we planted, how many mission trips I've been on. It doesn't matter how many people are in any church or what the call of God is in my life. When I step into this house, I surrender my authority to the leadership of this house. All the leaders. And I'm not stepping outside of that because that's the way that God does things. When people come into my house, they don't dictate what happens in my house, in my own house. <clears throat> Nobody else does. It's what God has set up. And when we'll come and we'll surrender, oh, the freedom that we find in Jesus Christ is glorious. So this morning, I just want you to close your eyes as Pastor Wayne just plays his guitar for a moment. And I want you to ask the Lord and say, Lord, I just, is there a mountain maybe that I've been staring at? And Lord, I don't want to look at it anymore. I don't want to be like the children of Israel and spend 40 years going around a mountain that I can get past in 11 days' journey. 
I don't want to spend my time thinking about what someone else has done to me. I want to spend my time thinking about what you have done for me. I don't want to look at the darkness any longer, that mountain that when I get by myself, my thoughts just consume me. Darkness comes, depression comes upon me because all I can see is what I haven't done. All I can hear is my failures. Whatever that mountain is this morning, I just want you to think about it and say, Father, I'm to yourself. I'm tired of looking at that mountain. I'm going to turn and I'm going to set my journey. It's not going to control me anymore. And I'm going to look at your word. I'm going to find out how I get victory over that mountain. If it's fear, the Bible says that his perfect love casts out all fear. He hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. So we know it's a spirit that comes and tries to attack you and tries to keep you in fear of man's opinion sometimes. Sometimes it's in fear that that's going to happen to you again. Whatever it is, God did not send that fear on your life. It's a spirit. And He's given you dominion and authority over the spirit, so all you have to do is you have to say, get out in the name of Jesus. You have no authority over my life. I'm turning and setting my course, my journey, in the truth of God's Word. Whatever it is this morning, I want you to look at it and say, I'm done with you. I'm turning from that mountain and I'm setting my course in freedom. I'm setting my course in righteousness. I'm setting my course in surrender. I'm setting my course in faith in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because He alone is able to deliver me from it and to walk me out of it. Because this is your time with your God. I'm telling you what His Word says and what you can have. Because I remember looking at that mountain. I remember that valley. It seemed long and dark. But He didn't call us to live in the valley. A lot of fruit was grown in every valley. But He didn't say hang out down there. He said, I've got more for you. Father, this morning, I thank You for the men and women of God that are here. I thank You for my brothers and sisters. I thank You, Lord, that because of them, this place, this area is richer. And Father, right now, we just speak to every mountain in the name of Jesus. Lord, that everyone would turn. Lord, that we can't even see the mountain anymore. We put that mountain behind us, O oh God, and we're walking into Your promises. Your promises that You would go with us. Your promises that You would love us for er- with an everlasting love. Your promises that all of our sins are forgiven. Your promises that You go before us and You make a way. Your promises that Your provision is already waiting for us. Your promises that Your blood was enough. And so, Father, right now, I thank You for forgiving each and every one. Lord, as they ask and as they stand on Your Word, and if there's anything that's between your soul and your Savior, just ask Him, say, Father, forgive me. And I want you to know as soon as you ask, it's a done deal. Man says you've got to work it out, but God said, I've already taken care of it at Calvary. And now we look to His loving kindness, to His peace, to His joy and to our freedom in Jesus Christ. And then we come and we surrender our lives to the Word and the authority in the house. And say, what can I do and how can you help me walk through this? Because I never want to be in front of that mountain again. Father, I thank You for knitting the hearts of men and women in this house and that their hearts would be, i got to go tell one more that the name of Jesus 
is above the name of sickness. It's above the name of disease. It's above the name of fear. It's above the name of rejection. It's above the name of condemnation. Lord, that our hearts would be so overwhelmed with Your loving kindness this morning that someone else would have to hear of what an amazing Father who created us has given us as a gift our salvation. Father, I pray Your blessing upon this house. Lord, the leadership of this house. You would give them wisdom in the days coming. Father, we agree that this is a year of no delay, that what they have prayed over the last five or six years, Lord, they're going to see the fruit of it happen now in the name of Jesus. Lord, all that they put their hands to, Lord, they haven't turned back. They put their hands to the plow, and they're walking in. They're plowing and sowing and watering. And Father, we thank You that this year is a year of reaping. All that they have already sown. Father, for every other one in here, I pray for visions and dreams in the midnight hour. That as they walk out their lives, they would look to You. And Father, that as You give them a vision or a dream, that it wouldn't be something, ah, that's crazy. I couldn't possibly do that. But they would get up and they would write it down. And they would wage war with what You have spoken over their lives. For they are mighty. They are beautifully and wonderfully made. There are none like them. Father, they are the light in this valley. And I thank You for the lights going out and bringing that light into the darkness, driving the darkness out and drawing Your sons and daughters home and allowing them to walk in the freedom that they walk in right now because of Your great love. And we do it all. We do it all in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.